My name's Tracy Smith. I was born and raised in Kalamazoo, Michigan. In 1998, I attended the South by Southwest Film Festival in Austin, Texas. And at a promotional side event at a local coffee house, I saw a showcase featuring some of the most talented performance poets in the country. Afterwards, I returned home and founded the Kalamazoo Poetry Slam. Now, almost 25 years later, for the sake of history, for the sake of nostalgia, and for some of the incredibly talented people we've lost along the way, I give you, dear listener, the Keizu Poetry Slamcast. This is Slam Later, like the poems are like, you dirty fucking whore. But this is one of the good ones from the beginning. My ears reach in the suburban noise of night. There's a question asked in one naked moment that never I am the Smith. I am the poet. I am the Industrial Revolution. No longer bright as fireflies. And the place of finding how wonderful we are, we form the sweet nature of the future and the reasons that we sing. Well... Some of you remember Philip Miller. And one time when he was living with Christy on uh, Westnage, I was going to visit him. And this car went by really fast. And that's when I wrote this song. Go faster, go faster, little boy, go faster. Go faster, go faster in your toy, go faster. In the toy that mama gave you on the day that you the day that daddy taught you how to blow your little horn gave you on the day that you were born, the day that daddy taught you how to blow your little horn, go faster, Okay, <clears throat> well, it's not a Bob Dylan song, but I had this dream where Bob Dylan was singing it. So I got up and wrote it down. <laughs> you want me to tell the whole story? 
All right, see, when I was in college, we went to this stripper bar in Warren that had a dirt floor. I never been to a bar that had a dirt floor before. Anyway, so years later, I had this dream we were there. And uh, Bob Dylan sang this song. And uh <laughs> so I got up and wrote it down. Down at the station, lots of trains arriving early in the morning. Down at the station, lots of people saying goodbye. Down at the station, lots of trains arriving early in the morning. Down at the station, lots of people saying goodbye. Some people want to go on back, they want to go on back to another track. Some people want to go on back, lots of people saying goodbye. Down at the station, lots of trains arriving early in the morning. Down at the station, lots of people saying goodbye. saw this woman walking across the street. She's a very beautiful woman. But she had these really ugly shoes on. So I wrote this. You got beautiful toes in little threes and twos. So why must you wear disappointing shoes you painted your nails in pretty reds and blues so why must you wear those disappointing shoes you got a beautiful face 
beautiful hair and a shapely shape to your derriere. But I lose my, my joy when I lower my eyes. And as your beautiful feet inside a sad disguise. Thank you. Hello. My name is JJ. I'm from Chicago. First time here. Thank you. Ooh, lovely. Thank you very much. I love Kalamazoo. <coughs> I'm going to read uh, two pieces this evening for you. This first one is entitled, Three Minutes of Overtime. Remind me again of repetitive despondency, to, medita to meditation consciously into what you picture me as. The drowning expectations, heavy with your daily lifeline, plugged into the past, reading me, reading to me about the anxiety in front of a silent crowd, a mouth wide open, a silent scream. An applause is mandatory respect, blinking, presenting a complete book of clean pages five times into and the world is on layaway with the belief from a post-it note that reads I owe you, stuck to your chest like a name tag with not enough time to turn down the gears and to raise the decibel just one notch. We depend on each other, owe our lives to each other and label each as brother and mother to be pushed only by the duckling that cries, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And when it does, my reaction is to turn my wrist and listen. 254. 
This next piece I'd like to uh, read to you, and I had written this while I was enlisted into the Navy a long time ago. This one is entitled, Wedged into the Red Sea. I am 12 levels above sea, floating into a 24-hour bliss, a marksman into detail connecting dots in my brain. It formed heavy visions of my past. Never-ending lines parallel to the horizon I could never reach. I had borne upon myself the nostalgia, similar to oceans in the backyard of my inflatable pool. The circular laughter ran amok until it fell into a four-year enlistment of hopes and dreams of not depending on my parents. I teenied upon myself the harassment of pressure and leaving authority, entering right into the political reign of polished metals and Uniform Navy? I then mourned into manhood, subjected into a circular replay, always questioning the spin and hoping it would land on an answer. Instead, I exhale and exonerate the pedestal I am placed upon. I am 12 levels above sea and panoramicize the ocean, placing my slumber below within the unseen fish, greeted by the blazing ball of orange bearing 305. Into the 1MC, I have tea with the sun, the salt becomes pugnant to me from such heat and beads of sweat, dissipates along with my tears below. The never-ending ridges on the water clap, clap for my introduction and clap for my exit. Good eve to thee, the sun I see. Close your tired eyes and rest from expected eyes. Quickly, the black curtain has risen at 183 degrees. The moon seems to be in such arm's reach, starboard side smile, pinpricks in the curtains emitting light, the Big Dipper, Copernicus, Leo, shooting stars by the plenty, countless like a black and white western. I need no longer shut my eyes and hope for visions as such. I am apologetic that I never place stamps on envelopes addressed home. Over and over this constant replay missing what everyone else has sought atop tons of steel. No one can hear me sing any longer. Lyrics that have been brushed, limericks that left sailors abyss. I am 12 levels above sea while she cuts through wakes and nods to the reach of destination. I am 12 levels above sea on a ship without anchors, standing next to a bullet closer to heaven. Thank you. We modern sophisticates all know that there's really only one kind of belief. There's either no God, commonly referred to as I believe in God, not, or we believe in a single God like Jehovah or Allah. In truth, there are many gods, each winding up its own universe, then disappearing forever. Bored, they just walk around in their immense white Grecian robes, striding on galaxy-sized legs, their huge Birkenstocks stirring up the Milky Way. The God most of us worship is different, however. Our God made us in his image, a ball buster, a thinking man's God, savage God, the God of science, God of the Big Bang. Unlike the other gods, he's a personal god. He invented survival of the fittest by helping us learn how to eat and kill each other. He's the only god of natural selection, god of bloody sweet tooth for supernovas and cosmic infections. 
The religion of Savage God is violence and change, and his priests are the violent people of the world. Savage God loves to visit all the convicts in prison. After all, they are his high priests, created in his image. He listens to all the cons, dearest hopes, and secret dreams. Savage God looks on lovingly as a newcomer to prison love, is helped along by a dozen or so friends, and is surprised by the salty taste of his cellmate's waste. Savage God even listens to the skinhead's prayer of hate, wishing for a cute, submissive little Aryan cellmate. Savage God gave that prayer his blessing and put the sexual energy back into prison cross-dressing. We never get to see any of those other gods because Savage God likes to work alone. Savage God does not play or work well with other gods. He never really had a son named Jesus Christ, but still thinks that crucifixion thing was, was kind of nice. Alas, he's a fickle God, though, moving from one religion to another, looking for his own violent image in us. First pagans, then the Hebrews, and the Christians. But now that the Christians have run out of people to kill, Savage God just gets bored watching religious TV. What with all those money-grubbing telethons, fake healings, and food baskets that never get filled. Now he likes the Muslim extremists and their beautiful holy wars. Loves how they're committed to kill for God and aren't afraid to die. Savage God loves to see them pray while they strap on their gun belts and dynamite. With his blessing, they're good to go, to bomb a synagogue, a ball, or maybe a disco. He answers all their prayers for germ bombs, explosives, and machine guns. Gives solid wood, thinks it's kind of fun when that red rose blossoms and the blood starts to flow. Savage God doesn't believe in good or evil or the devil. Chuckles at the very thought of 666, the sign of the beast, while he once rode along in a golden box with the Hebrews and helped King David massacre half the Middle East. He can only laugh at Hitler, Stalin, and all our petty little killers and power grabbers and phony divas. Why, Savage God's even more powerful than Mighty Shiva when he finally does that squirmy dance of a thousand wiggling legs and hands, all trying to win the world, to bang that final gong. Savage God just smiles and winks at him from way beyond the Crab Nebula. After all, once you've exploded a universe or two, everything else is kind of a letdown. Really not much left to do. Besides, Savage God's way too hip for any of that symbolic idol-worshiping shit. He knows it's always been just him alone and all those other Babylonian, Greek, and Roman gods. Well, they're just mere dead infants wrapped in stone. Uh, this next poem is a... It's my stalker poem, but you don't have to be afraid if I follow you out in the parking lot tonight. That's <laughs> <laughs> entitled Watch Spring. I was sitting in the park marking time, waiting for the darkness. All day long I've been making up silly, pointless rhymes about knowing you. Young and blonde and 23, you have to be. I can't help it if my mind is kind of morbid. Saw you here last week, but you didn't see me watching you, following you at a distance, pretending to be someone else hidden in the forest shadows walking along the edge of the tightly knit grass. Even though we both shared the same experience, walking along alone in this lovely urban park, I hung back a ways, bit my lower lip and waited, not wanting to spoil it. We needed to have the perfect moment to meet. You see, I still believe in love at first sight. And today you're back, sitting on a blanket at the wood's edge, pretending to read a book, occasionally watching me from the corner of your eye. You think maybe I'd be the kind of guy who'd take the time to stay long enough to get to know you, to love you long and gentle. In a while, when the time is right, I'm going to approach you and say something like, Hi, my name's Johnny Blade. Let's climb out of this bed that we've made called life. I'm not sure the world cares what we do or say tonight while holding, hiding behind these tiny lies we all get to share for only a little while. 
watching me, the words turn over in your mouth. You like my handsome, youthful face, but you don't know whether to say, please, go away, or no, stay, sit down for a while. Find out who I am, what my name, my phone number is. As we make small talk, I stare at you and think about how it would be to lie in that blanket with you, stroking your soft neck like a dove, knowing all the while that you're all I deserve, no more, no less. Tonight, we're the last to leave the wooded park, and God's a bartender. He smiles warmly and says, it's last call for daylight. Please stay for la one more slow drink of forgetfulness. Those last-minute insights of yours are all too late. They don't quite fit into this perfect moment. You see, needs have no concept of time. We stand up and awkwardly circle a blanket, looking tentatively at each other, hanging around, afraid to be the first to go, stuck on that hello, goodbye thing, like two thieves on crosses, waiting for God to pour another round. But there can be no redemption for loners. There are only the twinkling fireflies and that dark footpath, a shadowy crease, a womb leading deep into the woods, alive with the scent of rich, dark earth and wild honeysuckle. Tomorrow you will be a headline, sleeping in the woods forever, hidden deep under the leaves. Hi, y'all. <laughs> yeah, okay, wait, 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 we're going to try that again. Ready, ready, ready? Hi, y'all. Hi, y'all. All right, guys, I'm going to tell you the best joke I have in my entire repertoire. I got it from Lucy Anderton from Chicago. <clears throat> knock, knock. Interrupting cow. Moo! <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I think that joke is really funny. I really do. There's a camel one, too, but we'll save that. All right. I wrote this. <laughs> so won't you help me sing these songs of freedom? Because all we ever had crashed down in the early morning, glinting sunlight streaming off the wings of our progress. Now we are all searching in the rubble for survivors that we buried in our arrogance, thinking ourselves impenetrable. Where do we go from here? Clutching rosaries and flags as if symbols could replace the fear we hear in the pounding of our hearts with each new newscast. Five hundred more activists or reservists were called to active duty today as this nation prepares to march to war. As if the death of a thousand more could ease the sorrow of those in mourning when we will only create the tears falling from the eyes of the innocent mixing with the blood of those who have already paid the price, gave their lives in retribution for the lives we chose to believe. When we allow one to starve and judge who is worthy, sit on the throne of iniquity justifying our action while I am down on my knees praying for the salvation for these sins that we are about to commit. We are holding our breath collectively, sighing, sharp intake follows as the dust of our optimism settles in. Our eyes have been forcibly opened to view the disaster. We are frozen in front of the television. We all know someone who knows someone who might have been there, and we all might have been there dying for this American illusion. It's Jerry Falwell and an eye for an eye. They must die so that we do not forget that we sit in sunshine waiting for disaster that could strike at any moment. Pointing fingers, it might be him or her or them waiting to steal our freedom. 
So let's drop food from the skies into a land full of minds with winter setting in and sickness and death staring without illusion at a country we must destroy so that they can be safe from tyranny. <laughs> and maybe we've been wrong a thousand times, but how can we justify one more death? Are our cries not enough? Is this grief not enough? Will it end when our tears grow another ocean between us? My hands are small, but they are all I have, and I will offer them to you, empty, though my heart is full. And maybe together we can understand that all we ever had, redemption song. Uh, I finally wrote down something that's been bothering me, so uh, tentatively this is called uh, Are You a She-Wolf or Just a Bitch? <laughs> or Why I'm So Pissed Off at the Way You Treat Your Daughter. So where do you think this bile came from? It came from emancipation, from socialization, from a vision of my own death as an ancient heathen warrior in the expanding plague of a monolithic church. It came straight from Irmansul and millennia of demonization. It came from Parnassus, where Amazons worshipped their mother and raised their daughters to be strong. And from the dens of predators long extinct, it came from every she-wolf that ever fought with white tooth and bloody eye for her cubs. It comes from a world already harsh enough for those with the finest survival skills. This bile is born out of heathen virtue, not the base impulses of hamsters devouring their young. Relationships between people do not get any more sacred than this one. Would Bodesia have told a daughter, you will be a failure as your sire was? Or would she have told her the goddess walks with you and the earth will one day tremble at your footfall, so learn mercy and wisdom? Would any she-wolf surrender one of her cubs to bad memories of that mother's own cruel nature? Even drenched in the red waters of praise, she will first think of her cubs' welfare. Praise flowing blood, she will give that to them to add to them and make them stronger. And even I can tell you that this is holy, this red bond. Flesh of your flesh as much as her sires. Blood of your veins. And what curse passed over you to declare it tainted when your blood flowed into her? She wolf, heal yourself. Purity is passed down and self-worth is passed on. I may be a loner on a snowbound desert peak, but I watch you abusing the future of your pack and I mourn into a night of cold blue silver. Okay. okay. Uh, this next one's, uh, I, I wrote this piece a while ago that I was calling Ebb Tide. This is Ebb Tide, take two. Never more than torn metal or broken bricks away 
You see the rings of high tide written plain as barcode. On the high cubic spear and neoclassical stones beside the road, you see ebb tide hit this tiny Midwest mill town today. Can you sing some not quite blue collar blues for people past complaining? A 12 bar dirge down an empty street and a hopeless shuffle. And every shout about prosperity, these yellow street lamps, street lamps muffle. Tonight, we got ebb tide, and it's a smug moon doing the draining. Ha ha, missed me, can no longer touch me in any damn way. No how, Jack, you got ebb tide, and you'll need something stronger than me to pull it back. They say they dream of waves up to their chins like a blanket under stars, suspended by the Pleiades, a chandelier in the night. Roll on that swell through a ballroom never seen by human sight. They tell me Venus will bring miracles, but then I see them pray to Mars. I think I'd like to live forever if the changes all were real. But when all the world's a village, we can never get away. And everyone's a relation, and the mystery's all been paved. This moon sings about the promise to distract us as he steals. No farther away than shattered brick and metal torn wide, hanging here and waiting like dying sea anemones, praying for a tidal wave into the 21st century. But tonight the moon is laughing at all of us at ebb time. Hi, Kalamazoo. I wanted to be so many things, bigger than I was. A tall tower of building blocks, a shoelace tied so fast, jelly spread smoothly to the corners of the bread. I wanted to be so good. A smile on everybody's face, folded hands, a clean desk, all the numbers added up digit under digit, perfectly clear. I wanted to stand between the bully and the frail kid, ready to take it, ready to give it back. I wanted to do the right things, pull the spit back into my mouth, scrape the gum-chewed secrets off the bottoms of the chairs, pull the dumb go-along laughs out of the air, I wanted to stand on an asteroid, whirling a mighty chain above my head, flinging an outer space hook probe into the heart of the universe. And by loving, whatever I wanted to love, wherever I wanted to love, how I wanted to love, I wanted to grapple the ultimate connection. So what happened? What happened during that great revolution? After we pinned our daddies to the floor, after we made our mothers eat shame, after we rolled all antiquity and tradition into cigar-sized joints, sucking in whole rooms of humanity, hoping to assimilate all the differences and heat the 
when the chain on the asteroid slipped out of our hands, when the ones we loved loved others, when our laugh became the dumb laugh, when the spit shot quick and hard from our teeth, when we gave the kids the beatings, what happened to our dreams? What happened to me? I wanted to read all the books of unerring truth. I wanted to tie my shoelace fast, spread jelly smoothly to the corners of bread, build a tower, a tall tower, spell everybody's name, top to bottom, bottom to top, all four sides in and out. I wanted so bad, so bad to be so many things without the whole thing. Cold ass Chicago came all the way to cold ass Kalamazoo, man. <laughs> but not much of a temperature change, but anyway, all right. My full name is actually Gina Bustus Obstaculo Magsambol. And there's a long history to that. And that would be the first piece. It's called An Introduction Four Chapters of Family History. You see my name written and hear clicking, expect me to be climbing trees and swinging from vines, screaming and yelling in a jungle tongue. But what I hear is overlapping generations clapping for the battles that we have overcome, for the oceans that we have crossed seven times over and with each passing I become stronger. For every fist clenched and raised, for every breath lost to an oppressed tongue embodies me and my ancestors' five-country journey that traced and trekked on feeble earth for feeble birth of one child onto the next child onto the grandchild all the way down the line to the year 2001, where I still can feel their aching feet and broken backs, and it's up to me to straighten my spine and broaden my shoulders for my unborn children to pass on our family's name in the stories that lie beneath skin that varies from brown like my brother to fair like my mother and me, the in-between. I am the product of these stories. Five countries, four names, three family legacies combined by two to create one human being, Gina Bustos Obstaculo Magsambol. The Chinaman who fled the massacres of Manila to seek refuge in the hills of Pampanga, my mother's birthplace, dreamed of being more than just a refugee. Then he met her, she, who I now call Lola, the Spanish-Filipina angel who blessed him with her hand in marriage and he with his name Obstaculo. But it doesn't describe the name unsaid, suppressed between squeezed knees to deflect the penetration of a World War II Japanese soldier who couldn't stop his life in her womb. Through the same knee-squeezed, unwanted invasion became the nine months of human gestation through what one would call war complications. A baby girl was brought into this world through blood dreams, permeating sweat stained sheets, through muffled yells and strangled screams, through dirty fists and manhandling grips that wouldn't set her free. This child... This child would be given the name Generosa, contradictory to the way that she was given life. One life taken as one life spared. Lola would never be the same. Lola would never be the same. 
My grandfather couldn't save her, but vowed to raise his child as his own. Give her all of him that he could, mind, body, and soul. He vowed to stretch a horizon so she would never have to see the sunset. He would give her the world, the possibilities, and this dream of freedom that's been hanging above his head for so long and able to reach because even a visionary can become blind. Even a revolutionary can't always fight. Even a hero can die. This child already two times the party before she could even speak was left in her mother's arms. One meant to hold up the sky and the other left to bless the apo, the anak, that when brought together, pray for this child and hope for this child and save for this child. Loving mother and innocent daughter against the world. Ikaw ang isa. But how does one mother raise four children now without a father? Growing pains through the turned into hungry days that starved their stomachs and carried over to emaciate their face. Their hungry eyes became her hungry call as America found it economical to plant their factories in this brown country. Lola worked day and night as a seamstress sewing the American dream for a white family overseas. But it wasn't enough. The only thing Lola could do would be to let her family go. She said, Generosa deserves more than the life she has already been given. So she allowed her brother, a US Marine, to adopt his favorite niece. It's only a name, she said. It's only a name, but she will always be my daughter. So with the stroke of a pen, obstáculo became bustos, Filipino became Americano, Americano became American, and chapter two began. The year was 1963. She stepped foot onto foreign land as a bustos, as an American. No more families living in 12 by 12 huts. No more four-year-old beggars or 70-year-old squatters. Long gone is the smell of the Sambiguita flowers. The Cababayan, Sabario, the laughing neighbors were not just the people who lived next door. The Santo Nino altar was replaced by a cross and the mantle praying and giving hands were now greedy and wanting hands here. Generosity came at a price. Stories of family gossip were exchanged for 100 US dollars wrapped in a letter describing that dreams of living stateside have finally come true, but the colors aren't as vivid as I remember. Language is a barbed wire barrier that halts the level of understanding, dividing the people into two categories, the superior and the inferior. Was this the American way? You work, work, and work 16-hour days, seven days a week, sending wages to brothers and sisters overseas. Each moment, thinking about the family left behind, each beat of sweat forming and spilling out to the shaky ground, paving a path for her own feet to walk upon. Each step powered by mother's blood and father's tears. Each penny going from hand to mouth, giving libations for past tribulations. Thanking God for a day well spent. Thanking God for still being alive. This, this was the Filipino way. Watching youth fade into graveyard shifts, the Filipino tongue now spitting American slang, the past slipping, slipping, slipping into echoing memories. She awoke to return home to the heart of her brown skin. Where does your loyalty lie beneath the skin of a dying breed, ancient people with nomadic feet traveling the islands until last century? The name, Magsambol, to spring up. Roots had sprung from one Tagalog man to 500 kin. Ancestral spirits take over my body. And what I thought of as inspiration is actually the reverberation of their heartbeat in my time, their legacy, my birth, their life, my breath. So I transcribe from Alibata to English, from bamboo to paper. And with each verse I finish, I hear 
isang bagsak. One for the family and two for the future. Three for the nation and four for the people. From savages to warriors, from katipunan to revolution, from three Ks to eight rays, from Spanish to American, from resistance to independence, from oppression to migration, from immigrants to citizens. This name has seen it all. It is a 11 generation history book in nine letters. It is a manifestation of my brownness. It is a union of my mother and father, my family's war cry that echoes through the blood that pumps the heart that beats, the child that weeps, the fists that raise, the scars that bleed. When they branded a barcode on our backs that reads, Freed, 6-12-1898. Now, I stand here and I see that I carry my mother's long finger span that when turned up to the heavens, I can hold up the universe with this one verse. With these same hands, I could reach back in time, lift the iron mask of ignorance, speak through the cracks of the fine lines drawn that my family roots sprung from and continue to grow from Spain to China to Japan to the islands to right here, right now. With these hands, I write chapter four on the first line of a new page, pages that flip back and forth to explain my birth. History has finally been passed from mother to child and her story becomes my story planted beneath my feet, acting as the foundation for me to create. And the words that follow, to be continued. Now that we got the introduction out of the way, <laughs> um, yeah, I wasn't exactly sure what I should read tonight, so I just brought a like multitude of crap. Because <laughs> usually I read a lot of angry poetry, but you know, didn't want to offend anyone, and I'm kind of tired and under the weather <laughs> to do angry poetry. But I thought it. Um, th the next piece is something. Actually, the first piece I ever wrote and read a long time ago, probably like about six years ago. And it stemmed from riding the L a lot in Chicago. A lot of freaks, you know? So it's called Man's Playground. Crack fiend, rap star, and drag queens, graffiti stained walls and metal bars, rats and remains of passers-by, stairs and rails, dim lights, tunnel trails. Garbage stench, dripping pipes and headlights, singers, musicians, stuck-up snotty bitches, uptights in suits with briefcases, lower class with starving faces. Baby boys along with baby girls, single parents still babies themselves, old and young, lifeless eyes, panhandlers with outstretched hands. Hey, can you spare some change? They always say, sorry man, not today. Conversation, silence, and chatter, all noise, it doesn't matter. The homeless, the whores, the drug pushes, and the gag wars. The cops with their flashy badges and only in uniform authority. Never there when in need. Club kids, rap boys, white trash, and the posh scene, all part of the urban dream. Where else can you get this reality without living in the city? Black, white, Latino, Asian, refugees, immigrants, so-called melting pot of a divided nation. Polluted skies, water, streets, and people. Just ignore it, man. It ain't our problem. Ignorance, greed, glitter, and glamour, selfishness, helplessness, hardly ever an in-between. Revolutionist, activist, charity giver, those who don't give a fuck, and those who lack stamina. Killers, rapists, and thieves roaming these streets once in a great while. An honest human being, always wanting something. Preachers and teachers, spokesmen of a god, followers of a religion, asking your opinion as you stroll away. Iron, steel, and glass, architectural revolutions of the past. This is man's playground, even if he hasn't realized it yet.
<laughs> this is actually like kind of a love poem. I don't exactly write love poetry. It's always the, you know, the aftermath that I write about. And um, it's called Disenchanted, it, and it's written in three parts. The first is lust, the second is longing, and the third is loss. And it's in my chapbook, which I do have with me. Um, my chapbook is called Fragments, and I just created it like maybe two months ago. Kind of new to new to this chapbook thing, but um, yeah. So if you want a chapbook, let me know afterwards. I'll be hanging around for a while. So, disenchanted. I needed his sensual touch on me, beside me, loving me, holding me, holding my hand. I wanted him touching my skin in all the right places. His fingers gliding along my back, tickling every nerve in my spine, combing his fingers through my hair, whispering in my ear, you're the only one for me. As I feel his breath on my neck, this is the moment I want to remember. This is the moment I don't want to forget. His sensual touch is love. His sensual love is mine. We said a lot of things to each other, but were you listening? Did you hear anything? Do you love me? Do you need me? Do you want me? Do you feel me? We used to be that ideal couple dancing on cloud nine when every single slow jam was about you and me. Remember that time when Damn, it's been so long since then. I can't recall the last time we were happy together, before forever came too soon, before the love loss was long overdue, before the arguments became violent, before our passions for each other faded into this. No more sweet kisses on the cheek or the collarbone, just bitter words exchanged for our selfish ways. Long gone is talk of you and me becoming we, building dreams happily ever after in a house filled with laughter, growing old together in love, peace, and harmony, speaking of a life and a love of our own. Now we're just another sad love song. What happened to us? What happened to you? What happened to me? We were supposed to be together. All the secrets we shared, all the promises we carried, swearing that we love until the day we died. All the tears we wept, all the anger we felt made us step into that ride that we once called love. You were every part of me and you embodied my definition of love and pain. All those nights I cried for you, hoping that you'd hear me when I whispered your name. But damn, baby, things aren't the same. So I opened my eyes and I walked away. I opened my heart and I loved myself. I opened my mouth and I screamed for help. And what came out of these once vulgar stained lips was anger, rage, pounding against the concrete where my steel fist was no more compassion for someone I used to love, but anger for someone I now hate. Do I hate him? No, I despise him because he is the embodiment of all my good and evil. He is the thorn in my side. He is the plague in my mind. He is the hand pushing me down. He is the chains wrapped around my wrist. He is the strength building my steel fist. So I rise above him and I breathe without him and I love without him and I live without him I am strength without him I am grace without him I am free without him because I'm peace without him because I'm peace without him I'm peace without him I'm peace without him where my memory fa fails me. <laughs> um, I'm actually part of this new uh, all Asian American women group called Mango Tribe. We just formed it recently over the summer, but we put on a past show last year. And it's, it's a group of some really, really powerful women. But our next show, which debuts um, 
in August of 2002, we also, I, I believe we're also doing the Color of Violence Conference in March. Um, it, the whole theme evolves around violence against women. And there are a lot of stories out there. This is actually a piece that um, we wrote for that, or it, it was actually from a writing exercise that we did, uh, just a writing prompt. And it's called, These Are the Stories We Have to Tell. These are the stories we have to tell that slipped through the cracks when no one wanted to listen, when dreams were secondary to surviving, but in, in his hands we were never living. These are the stories we have to tell that were meant to dissipate into whispers because our voices couldn't be heard in a black hole. Surviving faces of forgotten names, we spoke once and cried once, but it never equaled the scream. These are the stories we have to tell when fighting with fists aren't enough to save ourselves. We raise our heads and voices, crank up the volume to break the sound barriers built by a beast's hands. We were never meant to climb atop hatred's hill, yet we still struggle to ascend above this wretched hell. Because between hell, hell and seven levels of ascension lies a woman's heart eternally seeking salvation. We speak the same story. The pain passed on from mother's wounds. The wounds passed on from uncensored rage. The rage passed on from unanswered questions. We share the same suffering with different words, with different faces, with different cries, attached to the same mutilated bearing bodies. These are the stories we have to tell that our sisters couldn't say, our mothers couldn't speak, and our daughters may never have to see. My brothers, the fellas, can you hear me? We're screaming. This is a sister's cry for a <laughs> shit. <laughs> Fuck up this poem, man. <laughs> Sorry. All right. My brothers, the fellas, can you hear me? We're screaming. This is a sister's cry for a better man, better yet, a better lover. Sister number one works nine to nine, conquering dreams one heartbeat at a time. She rocks between two jobs, writing novels, epics, and poetry in between, only to come home to a part-time lover who can't even ask her how her day was. Her love expands to the nth degree, limitless and boundless, stretching canvases for her lover's dreams, all the while his feet walk upon her back, retracting hopes into repressed states, relapsing time before liberation. Traces of him staining her skin, traces of him in her veins, pieces of him always in her pain. She puts the love for herself aside, fallen angel with a breaking heart, soothing his tattered soul, the one who eases his sleep as she lays awake. She sacrifices her own life for a lover who has never even seen her cry. As he sleeps, she weeps silently, swallowing, choking on tears to be a better woman so that he can be a better man. Every night, she lowers her head to her hands and says, love shouldn't have to be this hard. If I love myself as much as I love my significant other, would I really need my brothers, the lovers? Can you hear me? We're screaming. This is a sister's cry for a monogamous brother, better yet, a soul lover. Sister number two, lost herself in the banter of his sweet words and constant apologies. He tells her that his love is genuine. She believes that he will change, but he hasn't, and he won't, and he never will. She aches from long days of loneliness, tapping into a darkness she has learned to live so long with. She cringes at the thought of him with another woman, but she thinks she is nothing without him. 
She can taste his tongue and lips stained from another. The other sisters whisper about how she lost her dignity because her man slept in so-and-so so sheets. Always in the back of her mind, voices saying, that man is tainted, undeniably. But she still loves him anyway. How do you love someone that only gives you grief? How do you love someone that only knows how to cheat? How do you love someone that doesn't give you respect? How do you love someone that doesn't love you back? So she forgives him again and again, over and over for the hatred, the anguish, the misery. She forgives him again and again, over and over for his string, libido, betrayal, and one night stand fucks because she believes that he will change, but he hasn't, and he won't, and he never will. She still sits and waits for change, belly too big to hide the child within, growing with her insecurities. She tried to shed her tainted skin of him, him, the father-to-be, he, the lover of she, she, the bearer of a wedlock child, child, bastard of a bastard father. So she laid the child with her lover, buried them in the blackness of the past, wore a veil in mourning for a loss never tried. She wept glass tears onto concrete coffins, shattering the bond broken several times before. She will raise her head once again. She will illuminate her own darkness. She will cry no more for him, him, the brother, the lover of many, him, the brother, the lover of many, him, the brother, the lover of many. This is a sister's cry for a brother of trust, for a sister of strength. My brother of silence, my sister of many wonders, where do we draw the line in love? When we awaken dormant voices and indulge in personal victory, when we take time to celebrate womanhood, life, and creation, when we go from damning ourselves to rebirth, when we call woman queen, holder of destiny, my brother of many lovers, my sister of distress, where do we draw the line in love? When we give sisters of anguish the license to stand tall. When we say the power is mine, yours, ours, hers. When we put the power in the rage, place the rage in the womb, take the man out of the woman, then duck. Feel the impact of the thrust of the sisters taking flight from the darkness of the past into future twilight from the force of a sister to the vengeance of her brother. We unite five words, don't fuck with my sisters. sure how I'm doing on time but I think this is my last one <laughs> um, yeah this should be my last piece because I ain't got anything <laughs> else <laughs> all right I've been like on this like mad woman liberation thing you know and I've just been get, getting all crazy and shit with a pen and bitching at everybody <laughs> in my poetry but um I decided to go on a positive thing and, you know, liberate the sisters. You know what I'm saying? All right. So this is called The Law. Liberated Asian woman. We fly our flag at full mass, fisted from the land to the heavens, half warrior, all women. We are the liberated sisters, the Asian women. We brush war paint in place of lipstick, hold the spear when men's hands are too weary to fight. Lift up double-edged swords in emancipation, proclaiming to the heavens, the silent voice is dead. We are the renegade rebels to the third degree, slashing ideas of passive reconstruction, bearing them into our womb for recreation. Our eyes as fierce as the dragon we personify. Our skin may be soft to the touch, but incapable of fading. We protect our children with wisdom and teach them the fiery language of truth. We stretch our wings and burst through clouds, 
Preparing the world for the death of submissive images, branding the earth with birth of flames of rage lashing out with malicious tongues. We are the neglected sideline faces failed to be written into modern day history. So now we snatch back the pen and rewrite our own declaration of independence. We are the color of the sun and the land, the women of the kindred kingdoms of jade, yellow, gold, and mangoes. Our strength lies in an ancestor's past manifesting from the ruins of his story's deception. Rebuilding foundations and phases, breaking off chains one link at a time, uniting sisters as believers of womankind. We are the sacrificial sisters who laid ourselves in the paths of tanks, the freedom fighters with AKs beneath our garbs, the political leaders of the yellow and brown skin, creators of half the world and the daughters of heroines. We are the minds behind the rise of dynasties, the generals conquering nations, the skillful women leading men into honor. We are the army of one, a million men strong, the martyrs of movements that set us aflame, the volume of our mother's whispers, survivors of Nanking rapes and comfort women sex slaves. We are the phoenix perpetually rising from the ashes. We endure with strength and perish with honor. We are the most powerful women you will ever encounter. We are the liberated sisters, the Asian women that cock back our heads to reload our voice with fury, lock our fists in times of res resurrection, drape lockets around our neck of our unborn children. We hold up the world with simply our fingertips and blow the lights out with one breath. Tell me, my dear, what can I do for you? Your Majesty, my father, Monsieur Rimbaud, for 10 years has languished in the Bastille. If I don't get him out soon, he will surely die. I throw myself on your mercy. Please release him. Why was he put into the Bastille? He said something at a royal dinner party and someone overheard him. What did he say? He said, the poor ain't so bad. Boy, Fousse, the poor ain't so bad. Ha <laughs> ha, you're lucky he's still alive.